Come and dwell amongst us, Jesus, uh, friend uh, of sinners. In your name we pray. Amen. Okay, so if you're a husband and you've been woken up in the early morning hours and you open your eyes and see your wife looking intensely at the laptop or iPad in bed and the glow of the screen, it can be only one thing, and that is Mountain Brook Trading. (laughs) And for those of you who don't know what Mountain Brook Trading is, I'm about to blow the whole lid off the thing. Mountain Brook Trading is where you go and you, you sell things, and you can actually get a pretty good deal. Um, it's a Facebook site. Uh, you know, we, we bought some patio furniture on there. Uh, people will sell children's clothes. I mean, pretty much everything. I've been trying to sell some golf clubs that nobody wants. Um, and, so, I mean, what's uh, somebody had a purse on there for 10000 recently, or was it twelve? What was it? Right, Be- uh, yeah, Becky Rothrock knows, and then, um, and then, and then sometimes it's there's you can tell that there's a story behind it. Like there was one girl who was selling an engagement ring, and uh, for a lot of money. Um, so, um, so there's all kinds of things in it, and it, it's really ridiculous because the way that it works is you post something, and then you you quickly say the first person to say interested is the one who gets 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 the what. The Barbie Jeep. Like, we have a Barbie Jeep. That's right. We have a Barbie Jeep. And uh, so whoever says it gets first right of refusal, and you start asking questions. So in order to be able to get that first right of refusal, you have to be the first one on there, which is why you have to stay up to the wee hours of the morning, or you have to have your iPhone set to it. So a little chime that goes off that says, spend money, and, and it goes off, and you say, and even if you're not interested, it's just sort of like, if you're kind of interested, you better just say, interested. And then it bugs you when your friends put up something and you think, oh, but I really want that. And you think about like these, you know, maybe a backroom deal and then, but there are rules on Mountain Brook trading. And, uh, and you're not, you can't, you can't like go pick something up outside the city limits of Mountain Brook or something. And so there are all these sort of clandestine meetings at Overeasy and uh, it's just ridiculous. So, so in a moment of, I think it's totally ridiculous. And Mark Ginolette did a great class where he just sort of peripherally talked about, well, it was on Job, and he just peripherally talked about Job's friends. And we're going to talk about Job's friends today. And so that plus Mountain Brook Trading made me do a little bit of an experiment. And I said, I wonder. And it was also allowed me to exhaust some of my psychological angst because I have a dog that I hate. (laughs) This is Oliver. And, uh, and Oliver is as cute as he is evil. And the only, Don, everyone looks at him and thinks, oh, he's so sweet and so cute. That's only so he can get close to you and shiv you in your sleep. And uh, so I, I put Oliver up on Mount Brook Trading, uh, free to good or bad home. Uh, answers to Oliver and Teddy. Uh, his, his name is Teddy Kennedy for a while, but that's a whole other story. Uh, he enjoys long, brisk walks alone with you chasing after. Uh, strict, strategic, vindictive peeing in the house. Uh, growling and stealing food off of children's plates without guile. Vaccines up to date and microchipped. Okay, so uh, this is the post that I put up there, and I thought, I thought clearly this is a joke. I'm not not really interested in getting rid of Oliver, but about 200 comments later, (laughs) Uh, uh, I'm 
trying to let's see. Yeah. Okay. So let's just let's just take a look. All right. All these this is in the public domain, so it's their fault for for commenting. Okay. Um, the first co oh, well, it, so it says, is this really a joke? I don't find it funny. There's so many advertised dogs. So. And then I, I'm not commenting at all. I'm not going to show you all of them. But uh, I'm not. So I, I just laid back and let it begin. And the comments were divided up as following. This is really funny. I wonder if I can put my husband up here. Um, they range from, oh, I'll take him. Please, please, I'll take him. And then you had people who said, this is cruel and this is terrible. How could you ever put your dog up there? And then, but my, and then also the people who said, have you tried this? Have you tried crate training your dog? Have you tried, have you tried getting your dog medicated? These are actual, like, you can, if you're, if you're on Facebook, you just get on Mountain Brook Training and then you go up, see that little, um, that little uh, magnifying glass up in the top right next to Creative Group. Click on that and just type in Andrew Pearson and you can read all of them. My favorite comments though were the ones who were sort of indignant and saying, how dare you put your dog up here? This is cruel and insensitive. And then about 30 comments later they say, wait, is this a joke? Um, so a couple things that I learned from this is one, Facebook is the New England. Nothing is funny anymore, right? And nobody has a sense of humor, and everyone takes everything so seriously. And so nobody can even laugh. So I just assumed like everybody would know that it was a funny joke. But I would say at least a third of the... And then the best thing was that it eventually moved away from Oliver um, to them getting at one another. Right, starting to fight with one another by the end. So like, I was so far removed from the situation. One lady did say, who I didn't know, she said, um, she said something like, maybe if you got on his Facebook site and, and saw what he did for a living, you know that he would never get rid of his dog. I'm like, yeah, right. <laughs> Thanks. Uh, so, uh, but as I was reading it, I was looking and I was like, here clearly are people who could never be my friends. Right, because they would never get me. When I lived in England, it was just craziness. When uh, Mark, maybe you know this, Mark Ginolette was finishing up his PhD and so was gr tutoring Greek uh, when I was in seminary. So I knew Mark Ginolette back in the day. And uh, if you didn't know that. So um, Mark uh, was sort of my go-between uh, between the faculty and me because apparently my name came up in faculty meetings a lot. And, um, <clears throat> and it was, the question was, is he being serious? And uh, and unfortunately, where I was joking, they thought I was being serious, and where I was actually being serious, uh, you know, vice versa. It, you know, they didn't know how to take me. In fact, uh, I spent a summer in Russia once, and everybody in Russia thought that I was either a rancher or a millionaire or both. And I just thought it's a holdover from the Iron Curtain. And then I moved to England. Same thing. They all thought, like, oh, you must be from Texas. I'm like, oh, yeah. You know, it was sort of this idea I'm a millionaire rancher. So uh, they didn't know how to take me, and clearly Facebook is now uh, one of those places where nothing is a joke. But it got me thinking about friendship and the people, and most of the people, you know, you can like something. So most of uh, the 168s that like it, of course, if you look at them, uh, she's probably here this morning. Liz Reed, or you, Liz Reed likes me. Uh, Deborah Layton, uh, Stephanie Starnes, who married Will Starnes. So they're all 
they're all adventers, right? Uh, uh, <clears throat> right? They're, they're the likes, and they're hoping that the likes outweigh the animosity. I actually do just want to, um, uh, let's see, something about the NRA comes up. <laughs> oh, oh, the other thing, the other thing was, um, was that this all happened in the midst of, of the big snowmageddon. So everybody was online anyway and, and, and doing all this. So I had a captive, I had a captive audience. Okay, so keep that, let me, this is sort of, I want to break this into two. One is I want to talk about um, Oliver, and uh, because I think that, um, that sort of, the thing about Oliver is he's clearly, I actually, I wish that we'd had a, I, I decided to go to um, Walmart and get a pair of hair, hair clippers, and I mowed him down. I mean, he, uh, he just looks like um, a pink gazelle right now, and uh, he's very skinny. Uh, and uh, he can now uh, he can now face himself in the mirror. Uh, so uh, the thing about Oliver is that he is he, he's a return Christmas gift. He was what we rescued both of our dogs. He was one of those dogs that our other dog, the Colonel, uh, he knows that he was rescued from the clutches of death, right? He knows it, and he is my shadow. He sticks by me. He doesn't like to get too far away from me. A lot of that causes some problems sometimes, but but he's he's a good boy. Um, in fact, when Lily was a little baby and started to crawl, uh, when she was crawling around in a little stair area, he would lay himself across the top of the steps. Uh, Oliver would kind of go like that if he, <laughs> if he could. Um, Oliver was what, so the colonel knows Oliver was, was you know, mom come, you know, I want a puppy for Christmas. And so mom comes home with this, which is very cute. You should have seen him when he was younger. He was really cute. And, uh, Here's, and then, you know, after a couple weeks go by and no one wants to feed the dog or take the dog out, and they say, you know, Mom warns, like, I'm taking the dog back. I'm taking, okay, okay. And then finally the kids are just like, take the dog back. Right? <laughs> take the dog. When we first got him, they said that he was crate trained. Liars. <laughs> he is now. But we had, we were living in Beaufort. We had just moved to Beaufort. And so he's eight now, almost, yeah, almost eight. And, uh, and we had one of those portable nylon things and we had them I put them in in the bedroom and I walked in the first day and I know that I put him next to the bed and he was over by the bathroom and I thought well maybe Lauren moved him and Lauren said no 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 and I said well I must have moved him the next day same thing and I'm thinking what is going on? And then the next day, I caught him. He was taking the crate and going end over the end and just like rolling it across him. So he's also smart. So Oliver has no idea that he escaped from the clutches of death, and he's just bad, right? He's bad. But here's the thing about bad dogs and bad children. Your love tends to be much more focused and intense on them, right? Uh, if those who, who have been loved much forgive much, I don't know about him, but what I would say is that those whom you struggle with the most in your life, whether they be your children or, or even a dog, like the intensity of anger and why do you do this is actually proportional to, to your love for them, right? So if you've ever had a child that struggled with addiction or, uh, or on the end of a pet, if you've had a really bad pet, the, the irony is that I hate him. But I really love this dog. Like, and if anything, like there are t the first day we moved into Cherokee Bend, uh, the dogs got loose and they were on their way to California, gone. <laughs> and uh, and the only way that I was able to find them was by following the sound of screeching tires. <laughs> and and there was an element 
and I, if I didn't pray this, but I thought, just let the colonel live. Just let the colonel live. <laughs> but the thing about it is, is I knew that I would be totally, like the colonel's death would be really, really sad. But Oliver's death would be this terrible turmoil for me because I've invested a lot of time in this dog. And, and now uh, the dog, well, you don't have to see him anymore. The dog is, the dog is, is gone. And so um, there is that sense in which those people in your life that you have the hardest time with and you can't, they're in your life whether you like it or not, are, are those actually uh, that, those that, I don't want to say that you love the most, but I think you know what I'm talking about. And yet they're also the ones that you find yourself the most frustrated uh, with. And so I want us to look uh, at Job, uh, the book of Job, and just take a quick look at his friends. This is Job chapter 2. Now when Job's three friends heard of all this evil that had come upon him, they came each from his own place, Eliphaz the Temanite, Bildad the Shuhite, and Zophar the Namathite. They made an appointment together to come to show him sympathy and comfort him. And when they saw him from a distance, they did not recognize him. And they raised their voices and wept, and they tore their robes and sprinkled dust on their heads toward heaven. And they sat with him on the ground seven days and seven nights, and no one spoke a word to him, for they saw that his suffering was great. <coughs> Excuse me. So what I found is I found, believe it or not, I found uh, Zophar, Eliphaz, and Bildad on Mount Brook Trading. Uh, they, were, they were there. And because they all sort of fall in the same category of, of the friends that we have in life uh, and in when we're down and out. And so, of course, I want you to separate from it. This was, this was just a joke. But I want to talk about uh, the propensity when you actually find yourself down and out in a time of great turmoil. Like I'm trying to put myself in Oliver's paws. Right? I'm trying to think of, of what Oliver must think of me. Uh, what my friends must think of me, what kind of friend uh, I am. Uh, Lauren was, uh, we were talking about the last judgment once, and um, Lauren made a very good point. We were talking about setting standards, and she said, you know, you have a really high standard uh, for people, and, and sometimes it, it may not be a, a, an obtainable standard. And I said, well, you know, but, and, and she said, you know, forget Forget the judgment of Christ. Forget Jesus judging you at the end. What if God held you to the standards that you have for other people? And I thought, rats. You know, uh, that that I, I can't even measure up to the own standards uh, that I have for myself. And so here are Job's three closest friends. And uh, they, right out of the gate, uh, were really good friends. The best thing that ever happened to Job is that they sat with him on the ground seven days and seven nights and no one spoke a word to him. No one spoke a word to him because the propensity of human beings is to say something immediately. There are times if you're married, you know this, where your wife may simply want to tell you about her day or what's going on in her life. And if you're a husband like me, while she's talking, I've stopped listening and I've thought of all the ways that we can solve all these problems, right? We can just run down the list. Here's what we got to do. We got a game plan. We can make it happen. If you would just simply adjust your life, this would be great. We have a very hard time in our family with birthday parties. Uh, my solution to keeping track of everybody's birthday party that we're invited to is uh, to respond no. <laughs> 
right? I'll, I'll buy a jumpy castle. You can have it here. We'll have a birthday party for your friend here, just us. I'll give you a cookie. It'll be great. Uh, so, but Lauren's a much better parent than I am, uh, but sort of trying to keep track. And yesterday I said something very unhelpful. I said, well, you know, if you just write down the birthday party stuff when you first get the invitation, uh, then we'd, there'd be no problem. And she said, oh, we have a problem. Right. Um, and she's right, terribly unhelpful. I should have just sat with her and done what? Been quiet. Been quiet. But I couldn't help myself, and neither could Eliphaz or the other two. Um, and so Eliphaz, his big thing was this. Eliphaz says is that the innocent prosper. The innocent prosper. And so if you're really good and you keep your act together, then things will be fine. And Job replies that his complaint is just. You know, I don't understand why this is happening to me because I am upright. And then he continues with that life has no hope. And then Bildad says, well, then uh, what you should do is, is repent. Uh, and Job begins to worry about whether or not there's an arbiter. And then Zophar comes along and he says, uh, you deserve worse. You actually uh, deserve worse, which actually may be true, but, uh, but is really, really unhelpful. And so looking at Mountain Brook Trading, uh, it, it makes me realize that you do have these people uh, in your life who are so quick to give unsolicited advice as to what to do. So, in the first instance, people said, one, um, it must be, uh, it must be that, uh, you know, have you tried crate training them? Let's just go with that one first. Well, then they gave this long litany of things. Uh, someone recommended Benadryl, which is not a bad idea. Um, <laughs> But a long litany of things of, of what we ought to do and how we ought to handle it. And Job's friends were very good at giving out advice. You know, do you, you need to come up with some sort of game plan in order to, to alleviate the situation. You need to do an inventory. I mean, right now, one of the things that um, – uh, and then in addition to that, do you think – somebody once said something about dogs having self-esteem issues. Um, unfortunately, this hadn't come out. It came out a couple weeks later. Just a couple weeks ago, some, uh, some researchers at the Royal College for Veterinary Medicine in Edinburgh, Scotland, uh, finally concluded that dogs cannot feel shame. That look, they said, that look that's on your dog's face is a lie. <laughs> um, that dogs actually cannot, they're just fooling you. And yet, there's a whole market out there for getting your dog's self-esteem back on top. And this may be inappropriate, but this is very real. I'm going to say this, that um, both of our dogs, we rescued them, so they had both been neutered. And we were at the dog park one day, and some dogs who had not been neutered were sort of ganging up on them. And somebody said, you know, it's, it's because your dogs are, are neutered. And I said, I beg your pardon? They said, well, the other dogs know that your dog has not been neutered, and so they're ganging up on, on your dog. And then they gave me the very helpful advice that you could actually, for a couple thousand dollars, um, get what are called uh, nudicles. <laughs> and, uh, and absolutely, so the problem, the problem is, is the dog's self-esteem. Did you ever think you'd hear that in Sunday school? <laughs> is the dog's self-esteem. And so maybe there are some things that you can do uh, to right uh, the relationship that, that, it's, uh, that it's out there. And, and I admit, like, my relationship with my dog and the reason why my dog is so neurotic is because of me. 
I don't yell at the colonel nearly as much as I do Oliver. I mean, uh, we live next door to Russell Levinson Sr., whose son Russell Levinson Jr. is the rector at St. Martin's in Houston. And I can only imagine what his father is telling him. <laughs> because I'm known in the neighborhood, in any neighborhood we've ever lived in, that's a preacher that yells at his dogs. And, uh, and I do, because they're crazy and they're jumping all over the place. And, I have a, and in my family, it was a lot of people and a lot of boys. And so if you wanted to be heard, you yelled. And so yelling is... You know, I'm not yelling, I'm just speaking loudly. Um, but the, the whole notion of people saying, well, if you just, uh, have you tried this, have you tried that? And I don't know about you, but when I'm down in life and when I'm completely crushed and when people say that, 99% of the time when they say, have you tried this? Yes, uh, I have. I've tried it all. <clears throat> I have tried and done this or that. The worst, and I'm guilty of this too, is people sending me books. Uh, you know, you should read this book. Part of it is, uh, do y'all have time to read books? And, and I know that, uh, that y'all, I'll tell you, there's, there's a very uh, kind parishioner here at the Advent who's not here this morning, so I can say this. Um, it gave me a book right after I had become the dean, and, and I told her, I said, you know, the, the crazy thing is, is that three weeks ago when I was just a canon, I had the time to read this book. Uh, so back when I ma didn't matter, that's when you should have given me the book. I could have actually read it. And now I don't have the time to read the book. And then you start to feel guilty. And people say, did you read the book that I sent you? And of course, like any other Christian, you say, yes. Uh, and it had, I took a lot of great stuff away from it. Uh, and you might start it and dog ear it. And, and you just, ne I'm the king of starting books and never finishing them. I never, ever finish a book. And it's always very good advice. I should crate train the dog, although I've done that. I should do this, that. I've got that bark collar turned up to like <laughs> DEFCON 5, right? It's, 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 and I think it's made in the Soviet Union, so it's um, to give you an idea of, of how it works. So all of that stuff uh, I've tried, and yet it's, it doesn't seem to be affecting any change in the life of my dog. If anything, uh, when he's lovely, he's really lovely, and when he's bad, he's really bad. So that's, uh, that is, is, is one thing, that advice. Another uh, is, that, is that, well, the innocent uh, prosper. Uh, some other people um, have said, how dare you? Uh, do, you know, put your dog up there. Uh, they just don't get it. Uh, one of my biggest things in life is I hate to be misunderstood. And I will go way out of my way to make sure that people understand exactly what I mean when I say. To the extent that if I've been in a conversation and if I think there's been any confusion, I will actually follow it up with a phone call and say, I just want to be clear that you know where I am. And it could be something like my preference in pasta. Right? It's nothing, I mean, a lot of times it's very trivial. And so when I'm misunderstood, that was the hardest thing for me. When people said, how dare you put your dog up there? <clears throat> it was all I could do to not get on there and say, I really don't want, or to actually get on there and say, uh, have like, I wanted to take Oliver and put like a prison suit on him and, and take him to the pound, right? Like the pound where like, that's it, and, um, and, and just say, uh, last call, you know, or something like that. Um, uh, that's the way my mind works. And just to really like send people into total tizzy and total turmoil, uh, because uh, I don't want to be misunderstood. But I think the other thing, too, is that uh, in life, uh, I found that a lot of people expect the worst out of you. 
Now, there is a big difference between um, uh, total depravity and utter depravity. There is no doubt that our hearts are bent in toward ourselves, right? That's what Luther said, is that in any given circumstance, we're always going to choose ourselves not only over other people, but most certainly over God. That happens every single time. Uh, but we're not so depraved that uh, we're not incapable. I mean, we're all capable of doing nice things uh, for people, regardless of the motivation. And so uh, what I have found is that uh, the people in here really think that, uh, that like I've given my dog uh, a death sentence, right? that, that that's actually what I'm, what I'm doing here, and, and not asking, not saying, Hey, are you being serious? Because if you are, I'll, I'll take the dog from you. But you monster. Uh, you're, you're a total monster. Lauren showed me not too long ago a, um, a bunch of uh, photos that were sort of surreal, you know, photos that time forgot. And, um, and one of them was during the Depression, and it was this mother covering her face on the steps with her four children dressed in rags on the steps. And they said, the sign said, children for sale. Uh, maybe you've seen that, that photo. Um, very vivid and very powerful, and um, and it's just so heart wrenching. And your thought is like, if you have if you have children, I could I could never do something like that. And yet you begin to think of that mother, right? You begin, uh, and very few people in our culture would have a heart for that mom. Um, and of course, what she's doing is crazy. But uh, very few of us will actually take the time to f- get behind the story. Like, what is it that is, is causing uh, this woman to have to do this? Can, can we step in? Can, what is she struggling with? What is she dealing with? Rather than just immediately jumping to the worst possible conclusion. Now, there's always a story uh, behind the story. <coughs> and I've, I've found that to be true. One of the things that um, Lauren and I watched recently, um, the movie Captain Phillips, Right? And that's the story of the uh, uh, Maersk, Alabama, which is a big uh, cargo ship that gets uh, hijacked by Somali pirates, and the story of him being freed from captivity. It's a very intense uh, movie, and I think that the filmmakers uh, really tried to create some empathy toward the Somali captors. Uh, but then, uh, but you, but from the outset, like when I first started watching the movie, I was this is terrible of me, but um, I was kind of excited to watch the SEALs swoop in and rescue Captain Phillips and take down the bad guys. But as you begin to watch the movie, uh, you begin to think, what would what would cause someone to go into piracy? Right? Who wakes up and says, when I grow up, I want to be a pirate? Right? Nobody. <coughs> and yet, um, and so I walked away feeling like these were bad guys. There's no doubt about that. These are bad guys, and yet what were the conditions and what were the circumstances that drove them to be bad guys? I'm not one of those people who think, well, what we should have done with the Somali pirates, we should have brought them back to America and got them, take them up to like Chautauqua or Lake Winnipesaukee and have them sort of, you know, experience a little bit of Western, and they would have like, it been great. Uh, I think that, that um, they're bad guys. Uh, and yet there was a part of me that thought, um, they were in a situation that they felt they were so desperate that that's what they had to resort to. Right? Um, when I'm on the roadway, uh, I was getting off of four. Uh, I was getting off of 20 uh, in uh, a rondelay, uh where Montevallo is and uh, uh, a Porto and all that stuff. And so you go through there, and um, 
there are all these tricky, you can turn right from the center lane because you're in Irondale and you can turn right from the center lane and, and go that way. And I go and there's some guy and he's driving like a nut and he's like, lean, I've got my collar on and I've got the kids in the back seat and he's just like motioning and it's Ash Wednesday and he's like making gun signs and like waving at me. And I just, and, and uh, Lily says, he's a mean man. And I said, he is, he is a mean man, honey. And I just, you know, my initial thought was, I hope he gets pulled over, right? I hope he goes to jail tonight. Uh, but then I thought, what in the world could possibly possess someone to be that angry that they felt like they could drive 70 miles an hour in a 45 and that they expect everybody to get out of the way? And I think that there's a part of me that is right to be like, what a jerk. What a total jerk. And yet, uh, if, if he decided to come into my office, he said, you know, I, I saw that you had a collar and I looked you up online and uh, decided to come in and, and sit and, and talk to you about my existential angst uh, in life, uh, you know, what would, what would my, my word to him be? You're a jerk, right? It, it, I, I think that he knows that if he were to come into my office. Now, maybe he doesn't know that now, and maybe I need to tell him that. <laughs> but for the time being, that is not going to be helpful, right? It's not going to be helpful at all. Uh, then uh, there are actually some people who, uh, who got online and they were really trying to be sweet uh, and they would say things like, um, you know, oh, he's so adorable, he couldn't possibly be capable of that. And then other people started telling their own horror stories regarding their dogs and things like that, which, which made me realize that, that uh, and I fall into this, that sometimes people just want you to listen and, but you can't help but start giving them advice and have the story come back and be about you. Right? That's, that's the, uh, the biggest game that I feel like that we play is the one-up game. So somebody will say, I'm going to, my, my husband and I, we're going to Paris. We're flying to Paris, never been to Paris before. My natural reaction is like, oh, we went to Paris a bunch of times. And, you know, there's this one little great restaurant and da 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 Like, let me tell you all about it that I, that I know about. I mean, like most Americans, you've been to Paris twice and you think you're an expert. And, um, and you, you know, you think you've got it all together. And uh, when all the person was really doing is wanting you to share in the joy, they didn't want to give you you know, hints on how to buy art in Montmartre uh, or, or whatever, uh, whatever it might be. Um, but they, but it's impossible for us to not play the the one-up game, or or to be able to turn the story in back in on ourselves. And so, what what kind of friends are we supposed to be? Yes, friends that listen, friends that will sit in silence, and actually allow God to do His work. Right? That's the thing that we forget about Job, is that God was working, actively working in Job's life. And that because Job is a believer, the Holy Spirit is working in his life, and the Holy Spirit is going to convict, is going to bring Job to the place where he needs to be. And what he needs to have are friends that surround him in the midst of the storms of life. And most of us, if we're honest, have very rarely been in a situation where we're Job. There are those of us who have been, who have caught a taste of what it's like to lose something very significant or lose everything. Uh, we have members of our congregation whose houses have burned down. Uh, I encourage you, if you haven't already, we've, we've stream-linked it so that you can just click on one spot and get all of Cameron Cole's talks uh, about uh, joy in the midst of your worst nightmare. And yet, uh, even in those situations, uh, what do you say? Sometimes you say nothing 
But you need people to come alongside you in the midst of the battles of life and hold your arms up in the midst of the battle. I just need you to hold my arms up and, and be there. So the kind of friends that we're called to be, Jesus tells his disciples. He says this. Uh, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that, you so, that someone lay down his life for his friends. Well, that's it. Someone who lays their life down for their friends. And this is more than just taking the bullet for the friend, but this is actually putting yourself aside for the sake of the friend and simply being there for them. So when the friend is talking to you, when the friend is unloading on you, now there is a time and a place to say something. Absolutely, there's a time and a place to say something. I've been in that situation in life where somebody is trying to justify some dastardly deed or act, and they just think that it's perfectly fine. So there's a time to drop the hammer on this one. All right? There is. When, when, some, when, when someone's doing something and, and they're completely oblivious to the fact that it's hurting other people, absolutely. But when you're dealing with a Job who's been brought totally low, there's nothing more that you can say to crush them or to open their eyes to any sort of awareness that they already haven't already. So what they need is actually God to intervene in their life, and you need to point them toward a merciful Savior. This is hard for us because the only person who was able to do this completely and totally was Jesus Christ. All right? Jesus knew when to drop the hammer and when not to drop the hammer. So... The example that I always use, but is one of the best, is when the woman is caught in the act of adultery and they say, this is what the law commands and she's there in a bedsheet at best, uh, what is Jesus' response initially? He starts doodling on the ground, right? And I wonder what he was writing. I don't know if he put like a little smiley face or, or what he was doing, but he was just, he didn't say anything. And everybody's just kind of leaning in and she's just waiting, and he just looks up and says, well, neither do I condemn you. Go and, go and sin no more. What? Right? That's when I would think it's time to drop the hammer. Right? That's what my intuition says. This woman's, she's got some real issues. And yet Jesus knew that there was nothing that he could say in that moment that could crush her any more than she was already crushed. Uh, another example where Jesus knew when uh, to, to, to drop uh, the hammer, the rich young ruler. Good sir, what must I do to inherit eternal life? i got a lot of money, and I can really help you out. Go and sell everything that you have and give it to the poor. And it says that Jesus looked at him, loved him, said that. Go and sell all you have, give it to the poor, and come follow me. And it says he went away sad. He just sort of walked away. And I read that story, and I always sort of wait for Jesus to go running after him. Uh, but he never does, because God needs to do his work. Uh, on his people. And there will come a day, I hope did come a day, where that guy, where he was finally at a place where he was so crushed that he cried out uh, for mercy and he had nowhere to turn. And I hope that he had good friends who could say, I'm here for you. Here's the mercy that you need. And in the case of the woman caught in the act of adultery, I wonder what happened to her. Um, you know, I mean, she, she didn't have a lot of friends, uh, I'm sure. Um, and yet uh, there... Who did she go back to? And and still, I'm sure people would say, you know, well, Jesus might have forgiven you, but I, I don't think I can. Uh, I don't think that I can look at you uh, any differently. And so she, too, even though she'd been given this word of grace uh, from the Lord, was going to need that affirmed in her own life uh, from uh, her friends. And, you know, Jesus, early on in the Sermon on the Mount, said uh, the golden rule. What's our golden rule? 
do unto others as you would have them do unto you. That's a pretty good rule. Right? We call it the golden rule. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. The hard thing about that rule is that it's still based on the self. Right? It doesn't mean that it's not a good rule. Jesus said it. It's a good one. But do unto others as you would have them do unto you. So what if I just went through life doing to others how I would want? Like I know what I want in life. <laughs> so what if I treated other people like that? Well, maybe people don't want what I want in life. Maybe that, that might meet me where I am, but that might not meet them where they are. And so Jesus comes along and in John 15 gives us the platinum rule. Greater love has no man than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. It's no longer do unto others as you would have them do unto you. It is do unto others, die to yourself. Totally take yourself out of the equation, which is, next, which is impossible without God, but take yourself out of the equation and give yourself wholly over to your friends. That's what it means to lay down your life for your friends. And we talk a lot in the church about giving your life over to Jesus. But what Jesus is saying is, yes, you give your life over to me, but we ought to give our life over to brothers and sisters as well. That's harder, I understand, because with God, he's perfect. There's not this fear that we might get taken advantage of. But with our friends, even our closest friends, they're going to take advantage of us. <laughs> they're going to take us for granted. <clears throat> In fact, uh, the people who you're closest to probably have done that at, at some, some point in time. But to bring it full circle, uh, the difference is, is that if you have a heart for somebody and you really care about them, uh, your love for them is intense. Uh, but the reason why you get so upset and so angry with them is because you do love them, right? You wanna shake them and say, what's wrong with you? And even when you do try to love them, they will often push away from you. And yet, the love that God has for us, and the love that God has on our lives and has called our lives is that our love be one way without any reciprocation expected, and it also be intense and unfailing like a laser beam to the other people. And that's what the world desperately longs to hear. That's what they desperately want. That's what we desperately need. And if you've ever been in a situation where you've been totally crushed and a friend has come into your life and loved you, even if there was a part of you that didn't want to be loved, that you just simply wanted to be left alone, um, they were a friend for life. Right? They, they stuck by you. I'm one of those guys that when I'm sick or when so, I don't want any help. Right? I don't want any help. I had a friend. I have a friend in Beaufort who's uh, about 90. He's a retired doctor, and he said, "You know, if the world were populated by men, we'd only need two doctors." And um, and that's true. I mean, uh, nothing more ridiculous than going. I, I've been in lots of hospital rooms, and it's never happened with a woman, but always with men. Like a man has had surgery, he's like, "Oh, I've got it. I've got it." I'm like, "Really? You've got it?" Uh, but the ability just to allow other people to love on us the way that we know that we need to love, be loved, and just give up our own self-sufficiency or our dreams about self-sufficiency. And so uh, the other thing about Mountain Brook Trading is, and this is the last thing I'll say, is it's up there forever, right? <laughs> and that's what's really remarkable is that something, you know, um, that, that it's there for posterity and, and the eagerness uh, which people have to give unsolicited advice uh, to say what they want to say 
uh, and know that it's up there forever. Um, I think that the people sitting in this room, for the most part, have a little bit of a governor uh, on it. Uh, well, except for those of you that I could name by name that are sitting here that actually said something on there. Just kidding. Uh, <laughs> but let me tell you, your kids, your grandkids, they have no governor. And, uh, and it's, it's indicative. We have a friend who went through Rush at a SEC school, and she's really into social media. And during Rush, no trace of her on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. It was like she completely disappeared. And, and uh, there are these Rush consultants that you can hire. I think you know this. Uh, they will actually sort of scrub the internet of your presence. But what happens the day after bid day? Like tulips in spring. Like everybody's back up on there, and it's like they didn't miss a beat. And the stuff that they put up there is just incredible. And what's incredible about it is how demeaning and how cruel it is. And, and what I think that the world needs now, um, maybe Burt Bacharach was right, uh, is, is love. But more than that, uh, love that, that comes from a friend. Right? What The world needs friends. And we aren't able to experience that level of friendship and that level of understanding uh, apart from Jesus Christ. Right? Because Jesus is the friend to sinners. Right? Uh, we, we may not put stuff up on Twitter or Instagram that is humiliating and awful and negative, and yet our hearts are a 24-hour-a-day, seven-day-a-week social media outlet that God reads all the time. Can you imagine if, if your deepest thoughts and struggles were projected on the Internet? Right? You would have no friends. Right? Y'all would never come back to hear me ever again. Right? Uh, and yet God sees that, and he says, I love you. I love you, even through the midst of it. So uh, be careful on Mountain Brook trading, uh, or you'll end up in Sunday school. Um, uh, but uh, just something I've been thinking about uh, when it comes uh, to friendship um, in light of, of what God has to say through Job and uh, to his disciples in John 15. Questions, comments, concerns? Yeah, enablers are the people who look at enabler. Uh, Peter's an enabler, right? Peter's an enabler in that situation with the rich young ruler who, uh, when when he goes away, and he says, well, then who in the world can enter the kingdom of heaven? Like, if this guy can't get in, I mean, what he's saying is that, like, this is exactly the kind of guy that we want on our team. Like, we, we, want, we want him on board. And so enablers are people who are not able to drop the hammer when they need to. And then love. what I notice about enablers is that they tend to love people when they ought to drop the hammer, and they drop the hammer when they ought to love people, and they almost always get it wrong. There's actually a very fine line between enablers and just normal people. Non-enablers, I should say. But better to, I, I will say this, I think it's better to err on the side of grace. It is. When Jesus says, if someone asks you for money, give it to them. Just give it to them. Right? Don't, and, and, and when I was living in England, uh, people were always begging on the streets. And you could tell they were, they were heroin addicts. And, of course, giving them money uh, was, you know what they were going to do with it. 
uh, and I really struggle with that. You know, do do I do I give them that? And and so what I started doing is I started saying, I, I really don't have that much money, but I'd love to take you to get something to eat. And sometimes they'd say yes, and sometimes they they'd say no. Um, but uh, but to sort of dismiss them outright um, burdened my heart more than than giving them money. Okay. Go in peace to love and serve the Lord. Thanks be to God.